Hello and welcome back to The New Consent Narrative, a podcast where we bring a new lens on relationship and sexual violence and tell you what you can do about it. We want to share information in a relatable, easy, and digestible manner for college students who want to be a part of the solution but may not know where to start. My name is Jillian McBain. I'm a junior at the University of Utah studying health, society, and policy. As always, I'll be sharing my identities. I am a white, cisgender woman and come from an upper-middle-class background. I work as a student staff member at the University of Utah's McCluskey Center for Violence Prevention, Research, and Education, and I'm hosting this podcast to hopefully get our messages across to more people. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about community and how the communities we're a part of play a huge role in our experiences with and our perceptions of harm. We're going to be sharing some of our own personal experiences within our communities and how that has influenced our perspectives and the way we go about our work at the center. Joining me is Quincy Brown. Thanks for being here, Quincy. They are a former staff member at the MCVP. Quincy, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Hi, Jilly. Thank you so much for having me. I really love this podcast. It's really great. Um, so yeah, I'm a transmasculine, non-binary person, which you asked me to share a bit about what that mm-hmm. means. So that means I don't identify as either a man or a woman. My gender is something else. And the way I perceive the world and want to be perceived by the world is more masculine. That's where transmasculine comes from. I'm okay with either they, them pronouns or occasionally he, him is also okay. I am also white and I do come from an upper middle class background as well. Thanks for that. I'm super excited that you are here with me. So starting with our conversation today, we're both going to speak to this, but I wanted to start by asking you where you found community and kind of what communities you're a part of, stuff like that. So as you can probably guess, I'm a part of queer and trans communities, which I primarily do interact with through my gender studies major. We do these things like once a month called communities, which are just like time to hang out and talk about the state of the world. But also being queer and trans has really influenced my ability to find community historically. It's been really difficult sometimes, especially like my freshman year in the dorms. There were a bunch of people who like got really close to each other really quickly. And I kind of felt left out of that. I was the only trans person in my first year learning community. And I was very much the outsider. Also, being non-binary influences that. Like people don't often don't know how to interact with non-binary people because a lot of our spaces are really gendered. And so when someone exists outside of that gender. Yeah. Yeah. You're explaining it so well. Thank you for already starting to give so many of these examples. When people exist outside of that gender dichotomy, it's sometimes really difficult. People don't really know quite what to do with you. So, for example, a lot of female friendships rely on a level of like low-key flirtation that would be considered inappropriate if the person interacting them with, with them was a guy or even existing in spaces like gender studies where it is a primarily female learning base. And sometimes people do automatically perceive you as a lot more femme. Being a gender studies major? Yeah, being a gender studies major because everyone, a lot of people in there are either very femme or woman. And so it's sometimes very difficult to be perceived as more masculine in those spaces. Yeah, and the way that you want to be perceived. So thank you so much for sharing that and just like 
talking about community and your own experiences, I'd like to say that almost all of us want to find our people and we want to find our community. We want to be a part of something and we want to feel like we belong. So especially like you're coming in your first year and if you already feel like kind of judged or people don't necessarily like understand you or they don't like want to let you fit in, that can be really hard. I always think about like how I want to feel safe and I want to feel at home. Yeah. A quick little shout out to the girls that I live with this year. They are just my absolute best friends and I feel so lucky that I get to come home to them and feel safe with them. This is important because we all work and, I mean, we need to work and live with each other in community. We can't (laughs) avoid that. Um, It's just the way that we, like, exist as people, and it's never going to be easy, but that's why we're talking about it today. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to get into some some really cool stuff. And then especially when it comes to tackling issues like relationship and sexual violence, we have to consider, you know, the people that we're in a community with and the differences and ideas and perspectives and how we can all come together to get stuff done. So now that we've both talked a little bit about that, I think we should explain a little bit more about how this topic of community is related to our work with RSV or relationship and sexual violence. Quincy, would you be able to give a few examples about that? One thing that's really important is when communities are healing, especially when something bad happens. Yeah, like trauma healing. Yeah, okay, yeah. trauma healing. For example, in the trans community, there is a lot going on right now, especially with legislation. Utah just passed a bill that makes that says that trans people cannot use the bathroom that is a sign that is related to their gender. And so there's a lot of like fear and stuff going on right now. And so there's kind of a very close community bond because we have a lot of outside pressure. Having a community that comes together and is a healing community is a huge part of that, especially when you've been othered by society a lot. Um, And I think the legislation that's going on is a huge example of it. An example of that otherness in relationship and sexual violence is a lot of the times the way trans people interact with sex. A lot of trans people have what's called gender dysphoria, which is when there is anxiety and discomfort around one's body or voice related to not feeling like it is part of their gender. For example, you can probably tell I have a more femme voice, and that's something that I don't necessarily like about myself. It interacts with the way I experience my ability to be perceived as masculine. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have gender dysphoria related to their bodies in a lot of ways. So transmasculine people oftentimes don't like their chests being touched or to be in more submissive sexual roles. And so those are like very strict, like, discomforts that are present during sexual situations when those when people when we're in a culture that doesn't know how to talk about sex that can be really really difficult for the trans community because we don't know how to talk about when we're uncomfortable with certain parts of our bodies being touched or fulfilling certain sexual roles and that's especially true when people do like fetishize us which is where they are specifically out looking for a trans person to sleep with and you know oftentimes interacting with them in a way that assumes that they will take on these sexual roles that are oftentimes really dysphoric Mm -hmm. um, for us. so Like causing anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Causing anxiety and causing harm. And it 
doesn't view us as fully human and views us more as an object or a conquest. Yeah. Thanks for being so vulnerable and just sharing those like personal experiences and experiences of, you know, the trans community that a lot of people probably don't even, you know, haven't considered yet. Yeah. Another thing I would like to speak to is the fact that uh, bad things do happen within communities. This, I think it's really difficult for a lot of trans people to recognize that they can cause harm because when you're dealing with the pressure to be a perfect example so you don't get continuous legislation targeting you, sometimes you want to be perfect and you want to uphold everyone in that community as perfect examples of what it means to be a person and what it means to be trans. And so I think that's really hard, especially with the rhetoric around trans people already being sexual predators, because that's There's, why they don't want people, them and pe- trans people in bathrooms, because they assume we're already sexual predators, which is completely false. We just want to pee like everyone else. Yeah, there's so many um, just harmful like misconceptions and stereotypes about your community. And like you said, we kind of passed over that legislation, but it fuels stuff like that and it can fuel yeah. harm. And then, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's really difficult to recognize that there is harmful behaviors like anyone really can anyone and everyone (laughs) anyone and everyone can cause harm it's part of life i think you had asked me to uh speak to how to deal with harm within community yeah um please (laughs) talk about that (laughs) so one thing to consider especially when you have such a tight-knit community like the trans community and when you have a close friend group even within that and someone hurts another person in even smaller ways, how do you get past that harm? Like, how do you work together in that community to work through that? Mm -hmm. And this doesn't work for every single situation. There are situations where everything is different. But I'll give an example is, for example, if I had a friend who kept misgendering me and who kept using she, her pronouns for me consistently, and that was making me really uncomfortable because, again, I am transmasculine then what I can do is I could talk to, I've talked to them. The first step is always to talk to the person if you feel comfortable doing that Mm -hmm. and say, hey, this is making me uncomfortable. I really need you to step up your game using the correct pronouns and stuff like that. Then if they don't listen to that and they're maybe they're wanting to try, but they're not doing as good as they possibly can. You go to the other members of your community and ask them for help. That's part of what's amazing about community is you're all working together to create a safe and good space. And so using them to say, hey, this person keeps misgendering me. And I was wondering if you could perhaps talk to them and correct them when they misgender me, even if I'm not there or and like help educate them. And so I think having friends and family help educate the person that is causing the harm is a huge first step because it's very difficult sometimes and very raw emotionally when you are expected to do all the education. And so putting that onto your community that may not have the same hard emotional reactions to that is really critical. And then they can help keep that person accountable for when Mm -hmm. they are misgendering you. And if they continue to misgender you even after everything's happened, you can perhaps ask your friends to like make sure social situations you guys aren't like together and like make sure that you guys are still going to be existing in separate situations because that might be the ultimate course of action if 
some harmful behavior has really happened and they're not stopping and they're not correcting it. And so I think even addressing smaller harms like that are really critical because then it teaches you how to use community when bigger harms like sexual and relationship violence do happen in communities. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for just saying all of that. That's actually such a good segue because I wanted to talk about like having friends to check in on us and hold ourselves accountable. And I know like you said with like one of your friends is causing harm, misgendering you, something else, another friend can kind of like keep you away or hold that person accountable, which is really, really good. And then if in other communities or scenarios, this could look like, hey, I think that you're doing something problematic or toxic or you're behaving in a way in one of your relationships that could be really harmful. It's on us to listen to our friends if they're if they're voicing something like that. Um, Our friends care about us and they don't want us to get hurt, but they also don't want to see us hurting others. I think that feedback from friends is a gift. So if they're saying something, they mean it, they love you, and it's on you to accept that. Yeah, you pretty much like you covered everything. I think we really just wanted to focus on how harm can exist in our communities and in our friend groups. We might want to, you know, keep the peace or like avoid the drama. We don't want to voice things, but we really have to if we want to, like you said, hold people accountable for things big and small and make the change we want to see. And then Can I speak to that real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that when we are addressing smaller harms like misgendering, mm-hmm. then when we do have these really huge harms like sexual violence happen to us, it is much, much easier to go to our communities because we have practice and we know that they will uphold us. I think a lot of the fear about keeping the peace comes from us not holding smaller harms accountable and not practicing that. So when we are practicing that, it becomes much easier to do that when sexual violence does happen, if sexual violence does happen. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that there are harmful perceptions in the communities you're a part of, or could you talk some about those harmful harmful perceptions held by those in your life? Yeah, I think there is a lot of harmful perceptions. One of the things we've talked about trans people being seen as predators, and that's something that's very pertinent to my life and pertinent to my friends, stuff like that. But one of the things I do want to talk about is the idea of masculinity as being harmful mm-hmm. um, inherently and less everyone causing harm. And sometimes there is an element of masculinity that is overlooked when harm is caused. But I don't think necessarily when people are masculine, that means they become har- they are harmful. I think there's a large pressure sometimes to behave. I think masculinity is not inherently harmful, like sometimes it is made out to be in spaces of sexual violence. Yeah. Men, like for our listeners to explain, men are seen as, you know, the perpetrators of violence. They're seen as the people who are caught doing the violence. It's not really women as much, like what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, well, I definitely think that men are the majority of perpetrators and there is evidence behind that. Sometimes it's related in trans masculine spaces to being about masculinity 
And there is sometimes pressure to even behave in more sexually aggressive manners because that's what the world expects of masculine presenting people. Right. And just with like stereotypes. Yeah. And, yeah. Stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And so sometimes that's the expectation, but it's not necessarily the masculinity that makes that the problem. I think as I've become more comfortable in my masculinity, I've actually learned. I've also simultaneously learned more about sexual harm. And so I feel like I have seen and felt and perpetrated less harm as I've grown more masculine. And that is not necessarily like they're not necessarily as intertwined as perhaps people think originally. I think there is definitely a correlation, but it is not inherently masculinity that is harmful. Yeah. Well, thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing those experiences with Wow. Yeah, that was that. There's a lot there. Um, I've definitely learned from you and you've inspired me to be so much more mindful about my own experiences in communities and how certain expectations, like even with masculinity, can shape people's actions and cause them to cause harm. So we kind of like to, you know, talk about what we do on this podcast. Can I ask you how we can build community moving forward and what we at the McCluskey Center do? to do that. Yeah. Honestly, when I was working at the McCluskey Center, it was a really critical piece of my community. Like that was something I really, really valued while I was working there. And one thing that I appreciated that we have was community guidelines. We had like a formal set of like guidelines that wrote out that said that gave us like ideas about how to interact in this space. And that helped me feel very comfortable. I know that that's not super realistic for everyone and their friend groups. Yeah. But I think we do. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of like our work organization. We have, you know, practicing kindness and patience with others, being mindful of their space. Like it is a list of expectations, which not all like friend groups or communities like that are going to have, obviously. But But you might um, benefit from them. So maybe look into it. It could be nice. It could be nice. (laughs) But I think even if you don't have a formal institution of guidelines, I think we do know how we are interacting in our spaces and in our communities. And so I would encourage people to reflect on what unwritten guidelines they have and think about that because that has been something I really appreciated. It helped me know when it was time for me to quit because I was struggling with my health. Like there were – when you have these guidelines, it helps you understand where you are at the community and how to interact with the community. And it, I think, breeds greater accountability and greater ways to inter- – greater safety to introduce ideas of accountability into your communities. Yes, you tie that up so nicely. At the U, a lot of people in groups, including us <laughs> and you, for that nice and lovely time you were with us, are working really hard to address how sexual violence and – everything about it is talked about and viewed on our campus so we can think about perceptions in our smaller community and our bigger campus community and having things like community guidelines whether they're written unwritten can just really help us work together in a respective and productive way yeah I don't know what else to what else to add here I think that I really just wanted to emphasize kind of through this conversation 
harm happens in communities. We are trying so hard to stop that. The way that we interact with each other in big and small ways has to do a lot with that. So we have to consider the role that we play and how how we're interacting in our spaces, how we can practice empathy, how we can practice accountability, things like that, and just build community with others if they're different from us, if disagreements happen, moving on from things like you know, when people mess up and they, they harm you and they misgender you or stuff like that, how we can move forward, you know, and stop that harm from happening in the future and just how we can show up in a space and interact the best way possible and respect others and serve others and end sexual violence. We had a great conversation today. I want to thank you so much for joining me and thank you everyone for listening. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Jilly. This was really important to me, and I really do really love this podcast. Thank you again. I'm your host, Jilly McBain, from the McCluskey Center for Violence Prevention, Research, and Education. Theme music is Lobo Loco. I'd also like to thank Robert Nelson of the Marriott Library for technical help and Allie Moore, graduate assistant at the MCVP, for editing and producing this episode. We will see you all next time.